Thank you for listening to America's Start, an American history podcast designed with quick and simple lessons to broaden your knowledge and understanding of how America got its start. Welcome to season four, episode two, and this is Ask a Veteran Anything, part two. I have Andy Mendini again with me and questions from my eighth grade eighth grade class. So if you haven't listened to episode one yet, go ahead and listen to that first and then come back and listen to episode two. But let's start with the questions. What was the food like? <laughs> well, all right. Depends on where you were, Caden. If you're like, like when I was in the army, when you're in, in the barracks, when you had regular normal army life, breakfast lunch supper right you would go to the mess hall to get that food but if you're out in the field out in the woods then your food's a little different right sometimes the cooks might have food for you out there sometimes you might have the the, the your meal in a bag the mre but it all depends on where you were and then eventually you learn your favorites or you learn how to make your favorites and you learn which ones you don't like and don't want to have right so and the biggest thing with the mre is it comes in there's different stuff in it like he's talking so think about being in the lunchroom right let's say you have a banana and you see the person sitting across from you has a pudding cup what are you going to do you're going to try your hardest to try to convince them that they want this banana so you can have that pudding cup right so in the mre it's the same type of deal it's like ooh, and and sometimes they have m&ms or skittles like a little pack of them in the MRE. And when you get that, like, you know, like that is basically gold in the army because you can trade that for almost anything you want. Another one is you'll get crackers or bread and it'll have cheese with jalapeno. Uh, right. And you can spread it on. And it's, it's like the best thing in the MRE. But if you have that and you're willing to trade it, you can trade it for almost anything you want. So that's kind of the MRE question. Um, I will say, and I'm not sure if you did, Andy, when you were in Iraq, if you ate local food at all. Yeah, no. I mean, they had some catered stuff, some local catered stuff, but. Uh, so when I, I was in Iraq, we would stay out away from the base for five days at a time. Once in a while, we got pegged for a 10 day rotation, but we would eat the local food a lot. And when I say local, I mean, it's, think of a little shed and there's a guy that just opens the shed in the morning and he cooks right in there. And it's really, really fresh. And he might have four goats when you go to bed at night. But when you wake up in the morning, he only has three goats and he's cooking, right? So it's, it's super fresh. And when we were in Iraq, we ate a lot just out among the people. And they have delicious bread, uh, delicious uh, vegetables. They do like pickled vegetables, really good. They're really good at cooking chicken and rice. Um, but the bread was probably probably the best. So next question. Do you have any funny stories from basic? <laughs> yeah. You make me go first. Yeah. Um, you know, Logan, basic training is full of scary stories and it's full of funny stories. And the funny stories are usually when you're not being picked on and someone else is. <laughs> so I, I can, one that comes to my mind, right. Um, someone was made to mop the parking lot when it was raining outside. <laughs> Right? Does that make sense doing that? No, mopping the parking lot in the rain, right? With the bucket and squeegeeing out the, the mop head. 
So it doesn't make any sense, but it was meant as a punishment. But the funniest one would be, and I still remember the name of the guy, his name was Kohler, and the poor guy, he had glasses, and he just, he, he wasn't coordinated. And he had left his boots out, and all the boots were supposed to be put away. And I remember the drill sergeant came through, and it was like a tornado went through our barracks. All the beds were turned over, the sheets were thrown. If you had a footlocker, it was dumped out. And he was actually throwing mattresses out the second story nice. window onto the onto the, the parade ground in front of the barracks. So funny because that wasn't me, but because of what he did back in my time, that kid didn't get punished. We got punished for what he did do, right? And our punishment was the mess that was created, everything thrown out the windows, everything scattered and mixed up. And then the drill sergeant comes and he says, all right, you have 20 minutes to rearrange this barracks and have it ready to go. So now, now it takes teamwork to get everything together, right? The guy who committed this error, he didn't have to do it. He just had to watch us. So in the end, how do you think we're going to feel about that guy? What do you think we might maybe do to that guy later on? Aha, <laughs> uh -huh, okay. So funny story because it didn't happen to me right but then it kind of did yeah i have a funny story that again didn't happen to me right actually i have a bunch of funny yeah. ones now that i think about That's it good one. is uh i was in third platoon so we were on the top floor they had first floor second floor third floor of these barracks and for some reason second platoon which was on the second floor they got in trouble for something i don't know if they didn't clean their barracks good enough or their shower or if they left laundry out, I'm not sure what they did, but their drill sergeant told them all they're moving out. Now they weren't really moving out, but they had to pack up two duffel bags and their rucksack, their big army backpack. They had to pack all that stuff up and it was probably a 20 minute deal. And they had to move all their stuff outside, right? So then when they had all their stuff outside, they had to come back up, clean their barracks, do whatever, and then go back down and grab all their stuff because they were already moved out and moved back in. So again, didn't happen to me. So it was, it was really funny. And the other one that comes to my mind is I had a drill sergeant who was from the deep South, like Louisiana, a real thick accent and a soldier from like Maine who had a different real thick accent asked him a question and the drill sergeant answered him and the, and the soldier from Maine didn't understand what he was saying. So he goes, I don't understand what you said, drill sergeant. And the drill sergeant goes, private, I only speak one language, Southern. And that's kind of, you know, he wasn't yelling at me and he was kind of making a joke, but that was something that was just hilarious. We're, we're gonna stay to see if we can go. Right, you're training out, you guys good with that? Yeah. How long have you served in the military? Well, I had, I had two years in the army and then I had 13 in the national guard. So I, I, mine was a total of 15. So I served, I want to say it was 23 days short of 20 years in the Michigan army national guard. And then I transferred over to the United States army reserves. Okay. So there's three, three types of things you can do in the army. You can be regular army is what Mr. Mendini did in the beginning where your army every single day there's National Guard which is your army one week in a month two weeks in the summer and that's run by the state so the state of Michigan is in charge 
And then there's Army Reserve, which is the same type of thing, one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, but that's run by the federal government. Okay, so I went from the state to the federal, but I've been in, it'll be 22 years in January. He's old. I'm old. How long do you think it took to get your rank in the military? That's a good question. When I got out of the army, I was a, I was, I was a specialist. I was E4, I was a specialist, right? So when I joined the National Guard, I went to a school to become a sergeant. So two years, three years, and then it was another year, I went to a school again to become a staff sergeant. So that's four years, five years. I think I was on my sixth or seventh year when I became a platoon sergeant, a sergeant first class. So I guess if I had to say it in the end, it took me eight years to get to the rank I was at. So I took a different path. We talked before about being an officer, right? So I came in as, as a private, uh, an E2 private because I was an Eagle Scout. So they gave me a free rank for that, which in the army means absolutely nothing. If you're a private E1 or a private E2 or a private first class, you're still a private and Mr. Mendini is the guy who sends you to mop the parking lot, right? Mm -hmm. So he never, you never made me no. mop the scrub, parking scrub lot. Scrub the cracks in the tiles. Right. Collect uh, exhaust, exhaust yeah. samples from the Humvee. Yeah. So I would say E4, I probably two and a half years, probably to get E4. <clears throat> and then I became a cadet about the same time I would have made E5. And then it was December, 2005 when I became an officer. And then I think it's two years before I was a, a first lieutenant, two more years before I was a captain, and then three or four years before I became a major. And I'll be a major for about four years before I become a lieutenant colonel. So in the, in the army, each rank has a certain amount of time you have to be that rank. And you also have to have a certain amount of time total in the army before you're eligible for the next rank. And it also comes with a school, like Sergeant, Sergeant Mendini. Mr. Mendini talks about going to a school in order to get the rank, the same thing on the officer side. So the, the class I teach this weekend, that's the school that majors need to get before they can go be a Lieutenant Colonel. So can, let me add just a little bit to that, to that question though. If you, some people want to achieve rank and some don't, those that don't, they just kind of linger around and they don't worry about going to schools and stuff. But somebody who is worried about getting promoted and going to schools, they're going to do everything they can to be to to be squared away, to take care of business, and they're going to ask that I want to go to that school, I want to do that, and they'll be put in positions to prove themselves. And if you prove yourself that you can do what needs to be done, you're going to keep moving on and moving on and moving on. We got time for one more. Yeah. Okay. What kind of training did you do? So that's depends on where you're at, right? I know a lot of these questions we're answering with it depends so every single soldier goes through basic training right so basic training you learn how to march how to used to be polish your boots mm -hmm. learn how to march learn about your your m4 your m16 it used to be learn about hand grenades um, learn about basic basic weapon stuff and then after that you go to your it's ait advanced individualized training and that's where you learn how to be a combat engineer, or you learn how to be a military policeman, you learn how to be a medic, you learn how to be a generator mechanic, whatever your job in the army is going to be. So once you do that, 
then it's kind of like what Mr. Mendini was saying is if you want to go to a certain school, you can. If you want to go to Air Assault School and you have a slot, you can go. If you want to go to the sergeant school, you can go. All right. So my personal training, I did everything military police, basic training, advanced individualized training. Uh, there's a basic officer course for military police. There's a captain's career course for military police. And then once you complete your captain's course, the next level, it's called uh, intermediate level training. And that's where it doesn't matter if you're an engineer, an infantryman, an MP, anything, you all go to the same, the same school. So that's my highest level so far. For the training one? Yeah. yeah. I, same thing, right? I mean, it just depends on what your job is, what you want to do, where you want to go. If you want to go to a special school, if you want to learn a special skill, do you still keep in contact with any of your friends from the military? Sure, I'll go first. So the people I was with in Germany, I haven't talking to, spoken to any of them in 20 years, maybe more. But people I was with in the National Guard, I still see all the time. Like Mr. Van Dusen, every now and then I see Mr. Johnson's dad, I'll see him somewhere. Um, Floriano, Abigail Floriano, her dad was in the Guard. I see him every now and then. You just run into people. You see people around here and there. So. And for me, I keep in touch with a lot of the same people from when I first joined. I keep in touch. There's a lot of people that live around here. Actually, if you go to the VA hospital, that's almost like a Kingsford Armory retirement home. I always joke. There's a ton of people that were in the Kingsford Armory that, that work right there. And when I was in Iraq, we have a couple of Facebook pages for the, for the companies I was in Iraq and also Afghanistan. And there's some like my, he was my second in command. I talked to him a couple times a week. He uh, he's a police officer downstate, and I talk to him all the time, uh, if not physically on the phone or texting back and forth all the time. So, you know, like Mr. Mandini said, uh, I think in the last class, it's you have some things that you don't like in the military, and you have some things that you don't want to remember. But like the people you meet are just incredible, and it's it's really awesome to go back and see people you served with previously. Remember how you, you ever have a time where you have a friend that you haven't seen in maybe four or five years and you see them and it's like nothing ever passed, like you've seen them all along. That's kind of what it's like when you run into someone that you had been in the military with and you see them, it's been 20 years, it's been 15 years, 10 years, and you see them, it's like, hey, how you doing? And then it's right back to like how it used to be. So it's kind of, it's kind of like that. So. How difficult was the training? All right, so we've had that question. We've had that question quite a few times say, how difficult is the training? It all depends on, on what training you're talking about. So if we start in the beginning, basic training, right? Basic training can be as easy as you make it or hard as you make it. If you go into basic training with an attitude, like you know everything and you don't listen when people ask you to do something, you're gonna have a really rough time. But if you go in with an attitude of, of acceptance and saying, if someone asks you to do something, you do it without asking a question, things are going to be good, right? But the other training that you do, like Mr. Van Dusen, he got to do the other training, the air assault training. It, it's experiences that come up that are available to you. Once you prove yourself as a soldier and, and you are good at what you do, little doors open up for you, doors to do things that other people don't always get to do. And that lets you do the different styles of training. 
when we became military policemen, we had to go to school and get retrained all over again. And that's just like sitting in a class and you learn something in the class, but then you go outside and you practice the skill you just learned in class. It might be how to use the bayonet to bring someone down, not the bayonet, it might be the stick, the nightstick, how to bring someone down. It might be how to, how to talk someone down from a lethal or bad situation. So the training you get, it, it's, it's so many different parts, so many different parts of your day. And the training, like you said earlier, your training is always going on. Every time you go to drill, every time you show up for your work, you're being trained on something. Either you're getting better at it or you're learning something new. And the, you know, the basic training part, the, the hardest part for a lot of people is just the yelling. They're always yelling, get over here, stand over here, get over here, stand over here. It's like, once you realize they're, they just want you to stand over here. You're like, oh, okay, well, I'll just go stand over here and they'll stop yelling at me, right? But a lot of people have never had that happen. So when somebody's yelling at them, they kind of freak out a little bit. And once they realize they want you to do real simple things, it's easy. So the training, sometimes it's really hard physically. Like air assault school was really hard physically, right? And sometimes it's really hard mentally. So the soldiers that are coming to my class this weekend, like they had a ton of reading to do. And it's, it's a lot of mental stuff that they have to do. But physically, they're just sitting in a classroom, right? Drinking coffee and trying not to fall asleep while I drone on and on about Carl von Clausewitz. Sounds exciting, right? So the training, it, it, it really depends on what you're doing. Um, easy training isn't fun because it's easy, but it's a, the challenging training events that are, that are a lot of fun. Something you're doing at night, something you're doing in the rain, you know, something you're doing out all by yourself, you know, with just your platoon. That's when it gets fun because that's when you really get close with, with your soldiers and your people. So great question. How did you train for battle? I'll, I'll go with that one. So again, like Mr. Mandini just said, if you're not fighting, you're, you're training to fight, right? So sometimes training for battle means maintaining your weapon, like make sure it's clean. When we were in Iraq, we had to take our magazines apart that hold all the bullets. We had to take those apart and clean them because the sand would get in them. And if sand gets in there, it's not going to fire, right? So sometimes it's learning how to work on the radio. Sometimes it's learning to fire your weapon. Sometimes it's working as a small team to raid a house. So when you say training for battle, you have to be ready for almost anything, right? And anybody who plays sports, you know, like free throws, for instance, you'll shoot a thousand free throws so that when it comes time in a game to shoot a free throw, you don't have to think about it. You just do it, right? So that's where training is and it becomes automatic. It becomes automatic. Some of the things that you have to do. And when you're doing those things automatic, you can be thinking about the next thing that you have to do so that you can get, get ahead of where you need to be with the enemy. Yeah. Well, I don't know that I can add to that. Oh, that, okay. I mean, that, that's good. You, Mr. Van Dusen's got the answer. All right. So we have a question coming from one of our online students. Go ahead. Where did you serve your basic training? My basic, Noah, my basic training was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. It was two parts, the, the basic training and the AIT training. And my training was also at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I did basic training one summer, and then I went to a year of college. And then the second summer, I went back for my military police training. So they used to do uh, military police training at Fort McClellan, Alabama, but they ended up shutting that down and moving anything to, everything to Fort Leonard Wood. 
So I also did my officer basic training there too. After I became an officer, I had to go to a four month school to learn how to be an officer apparently. And um, so I went to Fort Leonard Wood for that as well. So good question. Is there anything specific that made you or wanted you to join into the army? Sure, I'll go with that one. You probably, you, if you remember from my talk earlier, I wasn't a good student and I knew college would be a disaster if I went to college right away. So the army was the thing to do. Two of my friends had joined the National Guard, but I figured I just needed to leave. I joined the army and that was, that was it for me. And I don't, you know, I don't, people say, would you go back and change? And I would, I would never go back and change it because I was quiet. I was shy. I, I wasn't very outward, very outgoing. So it changed, it changed who I was. It changed how I acted, how I interacted with people. It gave me skills that, that I could use later on in life, although I can't blow things up and get away with it right now, right? So, I, you know, good things. Yeah, and I think for me, I, did, I didn't want to join the Army. I wanted to join the Navy. I wanted to fly Navy jets off of aircraft carriers and be like Tom Cruise in Top Gun. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. And I went to the Navy recruiter and he said, that's great. We can do that. You did really well on your, I forget if it was SAT or ACT. I did get oh, on that too. But he said, you got a 30 in science, you got a 28 in math, but you only got a 19 in English. Take it again and get a 21 and then we'll talk. And I said, well, I'm not taking that test again. I should have studied harder the first time, right? Yeah. And uh, he said, well, I can't make you a pilot then. So I walked over to the army recruiter and he said, dude, do you like guns? He's like, well, yeah, I like guns. He goes, do you like hunting in the woods? I said, well, yeah. He goes, I've got the perfect job for you. And he sold me. He was going to have me jump out of airplanes and rappel out of helicopters. Said I'd get to shoot machine guns and throw hand grenades and blow stuff up. And just like Mr. Mandini said, I'm 18, actually I was 17. I was like, that sounds awesome. So I went home that night and the National Guard recruiter had left a message with my mom. And I was like, nope, I ain't calling that guy back. Like, I don't know what he's going to offer, but I know like this army stuff is awesome. And my mom and my dad both said, no, you will go talk to him because you need to have all of your options laid out in front of you before you can make a good choice. He said, if you go talk to him and you hate it, fine. So I go talk to him and he tells me about being a military policeman and he can't let me jump out of airplanes or rappel out of helicopters. But he started talking about college and what the National Guard could do for college money. And I was like, oh, I never asked the Army guy about college. I was 17. I wasn't really worried about college. So I go back and ask the Army guy. And instead of telling me what the Army had to offer for college, which was actually pretty good, not as good as the National Guard, but pretty good, he started bad-mouthing the National Guard. And I had already had three or four friends had joined the National Guard already. And I stood up and I said, you have just made up my mind because in my mind, I'm a loyal friend and he is bad mouthing my friends right now. So I did not like that. So that's, I joined the, I joined the Army National Guard and, you know, one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, a couple deployments mm -hmm. and here we are. So that's going to be the, the end of the questions for this podcast. I'd like to give Mr. Mandini, formerly known as Sergeant First Class Mandini, any final words you'd like to say uh, to end out this podcast? And then we'll shut down season four of America's Start. So any oh, final words there, Mr. Mandini? You know, Mr. Bad Dude, that he's funny, right? So we want you guys just to know, right? The more people that know, right? Veterans Day is for a reason, right? A reason to remember, 
you know, and it's not just us, but you know, like I, I keep thinking, ah, I'm not that old guy now, am I? But I'm getting older, right? I'm one of those old guys. But when you see someone, if you know they're a veteran, just simply saying thank you for what you did, you know, goes a long way. Some people, you know, I've read something one time, some people try really hard to forget what they did. And some people try really hard to remember. So most veterans are somewhere, they're somewhere in between that, you know, and, and a simple word of thank you for what you did. And for you guys, you know, for, for finding out what did you what did your dad do what did your grandpa do what did your great uncle do finding out about your family history what they did there's amazing stories that are hiding right hiding that you may not know and you're at that age where you're ready to learn some of that stuff and i feel really bad because my dad was in vietnam and he he, he had bad memories and he he would not talk about anything and now today now that i'm older i really wish I would have been able to have that better conversation with him just so I know what he did, right? Just to let me know a little bit more. So, you know, that chance of finding out something, someday it's not going to be there, right? So there's my words. I just want to say, you know, as we, as you talk to veterans and you, and you look at what they do and you see their uniforms and you hear their stories, you know, just be grateful for that because they took an oath to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States, which you have all read, whether you wanted to or not, right? So I ask that you just be grateful for what men like Mr. Mendini have done so that we can have the freedoms that we have today. We can give Mr. Mendini a round of applause. America's Start podcast can be found wherever you find quality podcasts. If this is your first time listening, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends to help spread the word. You can follow John at Mr. Underscore JVD on Twitter, and you can also read his blog, which is at mrvanduzen.blogspot.com.